0: And welcome back. It's Midday. I'm Tom Hall. Coming up Monday on Midday, it's the Midday Health Watch with former Baltimore City Health Commissioner Dr. Lena Wynn. Dry January is over, but the positive effects of cutting back on alcohol continue. We'll talk about that. Plus, Darnell Wharton of the Baltimore Peace Movement will recap the Promise Weekend events that begin later today. So that's on the way Monday on Midday. And it's time now for this month's installment of Midday at the Movies. And Hornaday is off, but Jed Dietz, the founding director of the Maryland Film Festival, joins me here in Studio A. Good to see you, sir. Good to see you. Thanks. So in 2023, movie theaters in the United States and Canada sold around eight eight hundred twenty 825.2 million tickets. That sounds like a lot of tickets. It's, But... <laughs> yeah. but he said with a caveat that's more and it was more than in 2022 which was only 8. Point, or 812.7 million tickets so 825 to 812 um but it's way below what it was in 2019 before covid when it was at 1.23 billion tickets so the news is sort of good sort of not so good what do you think
1: well i think 80% was sort of uh, the hope for and prediction going into 2023. The summer, even with Barbie and Oppenheimer, it wasn't clear at all we were gonna get to 80%, like maybe 60, you know? So 80%, I think, is actually a, a, a pretty good number. And I think, you know, we're seeing at the New Next Festival here in August and Sundance, where I just came back, theaters are packed i mean it's it's fascinating so we'll see i mean there's a lot of a lot of different options and i i think they're all good ones so
0: what's the mood at sundance i mean we've talked uh, in the past couple of months about how there's going to be fewer releases yeah. in 2024 simply because of the strike the strike was months long uh, and there's a lot of stuff that just you know didn't get made uh and they held some things in 2023 that they're going to release in 2024 so there, yeah. there's a backlog a little bit but just the number of releases is expected to be considerably fewer this time around. So what will that mean to box office receipts?
1: Well, we, we of well, course, course we don't know. Yeah, yeah, we don't know. I mean, just because the, the I mean the great big hits make such a difference, and how many of those are out there, we don't know. I mean, there's certainly hope for Dune that's about to come out. There are some other smaller movies that could break through, but. We'll see. I mean, I I think the the habit going of going back to movie theaters is going up alongside streaming, which I think is... Now, the studios are trying to figure out how to control their budgets and all that sort of stuff and publicize what's on air, which Jed, they're doing.
0: Jed Dietz is the founding director of the Maryland Film Festival. We'd love to hear what you're going to check out this weekend, uh, any of the Oscar picks that you have on your list, 410-662-8780. That's our phone number, 410-662-8780. Um, Where do you stand on the Barbie snub story? Uh, We're going to talk more about Oscars next month. Uh, The Oscars are March 10th. We're going to reconvene on the 7th right before it. So we will uh, give our picks, et cetera. But, um, you know, we've got uh, two big uh, figures here, uh, Margot Robbie and and Greta Gerwig, uh, who, you know, didn't get nominated in categories that people kind of sort of thought they would be.
1: And I was in those categories. I thought they both were going to get nominated and deserved it, I, I guess I've never seen a total Oscar nominated list in which I didn't have some of those feelings. And I don't think it's sexist. I don't think anybody I, w- was saying, I mean, those are both revered figures in, in Hollywood. I mean, so I, I think, you know, and they've been nominated before and you know, credited before. And some could
0: on. say they revered because they saved Hollywood last I, summer.
1: I don't think you can. You, I don't think you can say that too strongly. Actually, I mean, and I'd add, you know, Tom Cruise, as we've talked about on air before, also to that picture. But um, I, I don't think it's much of a story. I think the nominations are actually, as a whole, really good, very diverse, much more diverse than they were a few years ago, and. All of them worthy. I mean, you. I mean, again, some. You can argue about any given nomination, but it, it was a good year for movies. It was a really good to. year
0: for movies. Yeah. I mean, it's tough competition. It's always tough competition, I suppose. But boy, there's a lot of strong movies out there.
1: But but I agree. I mean, I think I, the idea of making a movie that worked off of a doll is crazy to me. And I've did work you know it's really an interesting movie and I think Greta and her whole creative team Noah Baumbach everybody including Margot Robbie deserve tremendous credit for it and Ryan Gosling
0: absolutely I mean if you're given that assignment make a movie about a doll and make it interesting and funny and (laughs) visually interesting you know that's that's a tough assignment yeah and uh, they get an A they get an (laughs) A whether they get an Oscar I don't know but they get an A on the assignment (laughs) Um, let's talk about a couple of movies that are in theaters currently Uh, One is called All of Us Strangers. Uh, This is about a screenwriter who goes back to his uh, childhood home, uh, and then there's a mysterious neighbor, because there always is in every good movie. There's always (laughs) got to be a mysterious neighbor. And then he discovers, of all things, his parents. Uh, who died 30 years before are actually still there living, uh, and I guess they neglected to send him the memo. That, that's gotta be that's gotta be depressing. So let's, here's a little clip from All of Us Strangers. Oops, I, I guess we don't have the clip for All that's of sweet. Us Strangers, but this is an Andrew Haig movie. Yeah, uh, what do you think? it's at the but, Charles Theater by the way.
1: Yeah, and it's really good. I I mean it's it, it's beautiful to look at. I mean, and it's it's funny we were just talking about it before we went on air. The you know it's not beautiful because of spectacle. It's just beautifully shot. This screenwriter played by Andrew Scott, who played the hot priest in Fleabag, you know, who is this guy, uh-huh. he got a lot of attention. And he's a wonderful actor, um, and he's an isolated sc- screenwriter, and he lives in this apartment high up in a building. And then uh, a, a guy ups- uh, downstairs actually comes up and sort of comes on to him a little bit. And that sets off a whole bunch of relationships, memories for him about his parents' death, about coming out gay. Uh, and all of that, I think, is is not ordinary the way it's portrayed in the movie. And it's done in an era in, in England which I think had a particular phobia about being gay. Um, and it's, it's a terrific movie. And these two actors, Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal, who was in Normal People, and he was in After Sun. He got nominated for an Academy Award for that, who's this young Irish actor coming out of nowhere. Those two guys are unbelievable, and, and the parents are great. It's really a good movie.
0: All right, so that's All of Us Strangers is at the Charles Theater here in Baltimore. Um, let's talk about this uh, movie based on Isabel Wilkerson's best-selling uh, book. I think it even won the Pulitzer Prize, if I'm not mistaken, called Cast. Uh, and Ava DuVernay uh, has made a movie uh, that it's an interesting take on this book. It's not a documentary on the book. Um, they actually cast an actor to play the role of Isabel Wilkerson writing the book. Uh, interesting. It's called Origin. Uh, it's online, and you can also catch it at the senator.
1: Yeah, and then the word origin is in the subtitle, I guess, of the book, of, of the book title. It, it, it's another one for completely different reasons. It's another one that it seems almost impossible to make as a movie and i think ava thought the story was so important and there're now a series of race-based movies and i don't mean you know that have racial themes in them now being made by african american filmmakers that i think are adding all i mean they're just beginning but i think adding tremendously to the discussion where we probably should have had a couple hundred years ago in this country. Sure. Um, and this is one of them. And Ava. Fit- and leading
0: to the diversity, in, for example, in the nominations for the Academy Awards. No question yeah.
1: about it. And I and I think that, you know Ava's mission was to figure out this book, and I think by putting Isabel Wilkerson's. Her uh, path into this as a personal path and showing her her relationship with her husband, played by John Bernthal, who's acted in some big things here uh, called We Own the City and others, um, and Ingenue Ellis Taylor, who plays. Isabel Wilkerson. I mean, she's assembled an amazing cast. Blair Underwood's in it. I mean, a lot of great people, even in very small roles. And I, I think you can argue did she solve the dramatic problem completely? I don't know. It's an amazingly powerful movie, though. And I think it's, you know, this is something film can do. It's hard for any other medium to sort of get stuff in front of us because you, you, you know, you, you you're not in a discussion. You're not talking back and saying, "Oh, get that thing off the screen." You have to, if you you, you can leave, I guess. But you but if you're committed to it, you got to sort of take that story for a while, and then digest it. And uh-huh. in Ava DuVernay's case, who made Selma in the Thirteenth, you know, you're in the hands of a very smart person who's. A good filmmaker, and it's very worth seeing. And the it's thing good.
0: is, you know, when, when you talk about assembling a great cast, I would imagine that Ava DuVernay doesn't have any problem doing that whatsoever. You get a phone call from her and they say, Would you like to be in this movie? The next call is to your agent, Cancel everything I have. Yeah. I'm doing this.
1: But, well, I think that's right. I mean, she's, uh, I, you know, she's an incredibly successful, very smart uh, person to in this business, which is a tough business, as you know. Um, But I I think she did it really to sort of give all the power she could put and build up a budget that, would would give her a chance to re- really try things. Yeah, She's again she one of those smart. Art,
0: yeah, She's smart. She's just one of those artists that you you should just see the work she does. I, I think mean, you're right. You know there's certain authors I just I always read only because they're them <laughs> right. and there's certain filmmakers. Well I would put see. Andrew
1: Hay of all, all of Us Strangers on that list uh-huh. also. Okay. He's Good. one of those.
0: Good. So Origins at the Senator um, there's a movie at the Charles Theater. I guess it's Swedish or something it's called uh, The Teacher's Lounge oh, okay. uh, and there's it, a a student suspected of a theft, and here's this uh, teacher trying to figure it out, and uh, it's a it's a who done it.
1: Yeah, it's a it was Germany's. It's a multiple country financed movie, so it's they're now just called international feature, if they're not largely in English and largely American financed, and this qualifies in both those categories. And it's won awards all over the place. It won a bunch of awards in Germany. It's nominated as Germany's entry and is nominated as best international feature in the Oscars. It's a lovely story about a teacher you start right away with her who is new in a school and there are some thefts going on in the school and who did it who you know who's behind this there's immediate suspicion about a Turkish student um, an immigrant student um, and by the way the filmmaker grew up part of his life in Istanbul and um, and, and, and then the whole process of the movie, which is not, uh, you know, it's not a debate film at all, but you go through this process in a school where there are certain protocols with the faculty, there are certain protocols with the student council, certain protocols with the principal and the people above the principal, and you would think all of this system that's set up would keep everything sort of neat and tidy, and you just go through this process. And In fact, the opposite occurs, because in each one of these things, the rules are only as good as the people who obey them or don't. And people just... Kind of like that thing we call the United States of America, isn't <laughs> <Yeah>, it? <laughs> that's true. And and you can see it, and that's part of the reason why it's so interesting to, to us as Americans, I think, this movie, is you see this sort of breakdown, not because there are evil people around. I mean, I think... You know, it's not that kind of polarization. It's just that everybody's got their own take on what's going on. There are kids involved who they all care about, and, and this teacher most of all, and she's just trying to teach. That's her big job, and this is all just a distraction. It's a really good movie,
0: though. All right, The Teacher's Lounge. That's yeah. at the Charles Theater. There's another one at the Charles, uh, which I've heard some really good things about, called The Boy and the Heron, oh. uh, a little boy named Mahito. Uh, and he's yearning for his mother, and he goes into this kind of interesting place that's uh, a little bit, uh, you know, surreal. And... No, it's
1: totally surreal and magical, and it's a huge fairy tale. This comes from one of the greatest filmmakers ever ever to live on the planet Earth. I mean, Hayao Miyazaki is in his 80s now. He had retired in 2013. He assembled the largest budget, I think, ever assembled for a Japanese film to get this animated film made. And you're describing it totally correctly. It's it's magical, full of, you know, herons that become other things and parrots that become human-like. And, I mean, it's... it, it's an amazing mystical story, but it's a it's one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. It's breathtaking.
0: Yeah, the Japanese aesthetic in general is just so beautiful and oh, it's, so it's calming and so you know unusual and so uncluttered. It, it seems to me, it, uh, as a, a it compared to much of the American. Well, aesthetic.
1: Miyazaki did the the what was it then the highest grossing film in Japan ever called Princess Mononoke. And Quentin Tarantino basically went to Miramax, where he then had a lot of clout because of his success, and said, you have to bring this to the United States. And of course, they laughed at him and said, what are you talking about? An animated Japanese language movie isn't gonna fly. And he said, yes, it will if you do it right. Put up the money, get it translated, dub the voices if you want to, subtitle it if you want to, do whatever you want. But this guy's important, bring him here. And we got a call and did a screening of it way back at the Charles with Quentin Tarantino's mother. And Neil Gaiman, who did the translation, <laughs> and we had a you know hundred people, hundred fifty people. So
0: the mother is standing in for Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, she was just trying to help. I think he, I you, know, you know, as moms do. Right? <laughs> right, just just as She'd he bring brownies for everybody too. I mean, my
1: God, <laughs> and and it it was the highest grossing film in Japan. It did really good business here. Howells. Castle, the next one, beat that number and was. Then the highest-grossing film in Japan came to the United States. Now there was a pattern, and now the Miyazaki movies are co- have come in. This one is already "The Boy and the Heron" is already on 163 million dollars worldwide yeah. for an animated film. It's nominated <laughs> for the Oscar, and I think I think it's hands down to win. All right. Well, there you go. And yeah. we
0: again, we will we will have all of our predictions. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, we'll get to it next in... month to be sure. Yeah. Um, I understand, uh, we haven't talked about this and I haven't called John, uh, that John Waters has gotten a a green light to uh, do his uh, do a movie of his novel.
1: Have you heard about this? Have you talked to him about it? Uh, Not about the green light part. I knew you had gotten the go-ahead to write the screenplay and all that stuff and that's Fantastic. He, so
0: that's where it is. He, He's—it's it, not a definite thing that he's going to be able to make the movie.
1: I don't know. We've actually because t- I
0: read somewhere that he's going to be shooting this movie. You know, somewhere around here. Oh, there.
1: I saw a thing in the New York Times—a little blurb right. about Baltimore that that's said he'd where be I, shooting the movie.
0: That's where I read I, I, it. All the news is I, fit to print. Yeah,
1: I don't know whether that reporter knew enough to know a true green light or. I, mean, I think it's going forward. I mean, John's working on it for sure.
0: Yeah, well, that's good, because it's been a long time since he's made a movie. Yeah. And he's always told me that it's because uh, he's in that weird uh, budgetary uh, island where they make the really super cheap ones and the really super expensive ones, but they don't make the the middle ones. And he's always been in the middle range for, for movies, you know. So it's tens of millions of dollars. It's not hundreds of millions, but it's not $2 million.
1: yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, I I think that's always been the studio view of things, and I get it because that's the investment number. But, you know, which ones become hits, it's very hard to correlate with actually what you spend on the movie with what become – I mean – I mean, Argyle, it's about to come out. We'll see what the numbers are. But I think they spent a lot. And whether it's going to make any money, we won't know. Till, yeah. And, till of money. course, there have been some famous examples in well, recent
0: memory uh, of, you know, very big budget movies uh, that, you know, didn't didn't quite go somewhere. Yeah. Um, at Sundance, uh, were things popping off the shelf? I mean, were people buying?
1: People were buying. It was the atmosphere of that was quieter. I mean, you, you didn't hear a real pain this uh, movie that Jesse Eisenberg wrote and directed, which I liked very, very much, with that he and Kieran Culkin star in as cousins. Um, got sold and got some reporting and there was a little bit of froth in the air as a result of that. But seven or eight or nine movies also sold during and there wasn't that much. There were no sort of stories floating around about screaming people screaming at each other in restaurants or any of that sort of stuff. It was much about the movies and that was explosive. I went to a a doc by an African American, a wonderful filmmaker named Don Porter uh, about Luther Vandross, and I you just a great singer. Yes. Yeah, and I but and I I knew a little bit. I mean, you can't be in our culture and know, not know some about it. The theater, the biggest venue at Sundance, was packed. People were dancing, standing ovation. I I have been at some exciting screenings at Sundance. I've never seen anything like this, and in the theaters, that kind of reaction was happening, and. You know, I was thrilled about that given this question that you opened the discussion with. You know, do the theaters hang in there? How do they do? You know, what's the future for movie going theaters? Which is not 100% settled yet, but so it's a good question. But at Sundance, you couldn't get into stuff. I mean, they, people yeah. were really, it was crowded. And of course,
0: Sundance is important on all sorts of levels, but uh, not the least of which is the time in the calendar that it appears because it's January. So the yeah. beginning of the year and people really get a sort of dose of, you know, sort of what we're in for over the next 12 to 18 months.
1: Well, and there's still for the world now. It used to be American independent cinema, but for the world, it's a place every filmmaker would like their film to be because it gathers the world press it gathers the the business all the film business from around the world not just hollywood and it so it's a very special uh, array of what's going on and it's also unbelievably diverse i mean it's been part of the sundance mission since the day redford took over the failing usa festival and renamed it sundance and I, But it's not just American independent film anymore. It's like emerging filmmakers from all over the place.
0: Jed Dietz is the founding director of the Maryland Film Festival. Good to see you, sir. And great as I say, you. we'll have you and Ann on in about a month, and we'll talk about who's going to win.
1: It'll be fun. It's a great slate of films to be talking about. Yeah,
0: lots of good stuff to talk about. All right, up next, a theater review with midday theater critic Jay Wynn Russick. We're going to talk about Mrs. Doubtfire. That's at the Hippodrome Theater here in Baltimore, and we'll chat amiably about that on the other side of a quick break. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us.
1: This is member supported
0: 881WYPR, your NPR news station.